Hi, I'm Tracy. And I'm Sharon. And we are Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters. So way back in the 1970s, we became radical Christians in the Jesus movement. We were promoted to leadership in the crazy cult commune, Last Days Ministries, founded by none other than Christian music megastar, Keith Green. Now we're sharing our decades long escape from the trauma and abuse of extreme Christianity. We tell our own stories and also invite guests to talk about fundamentalism, purity culture, arranged marriages, child abuse, misogyny, homophobia, (laughs) power-hungry patriarchy, and much more. Much, much more. So join us as we share our journey of healing and humor and how we finally found peace and joy on the other side. Feet of Clay, Confessions of the Cult Sisters, wherever you get your podcasts. Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm super happy to be reconnecting with a good friend of mine, Tim Sledge. We are ex-pastors, ex-evangelicals, so welcome back, Tim, to Mindship Podcast. Thank you, Clint. It's great to be here. It really is. I I can't remember how long it's been since we first connected. Probably four years ago, we did a podcast together about your book, Goodbye Jesus, which has so much resonance with my story growing up in evangelicalism. So uh, it's one of my favorite books, really. Thank you. So we're here to talk about your other book. Well, you've written several books, but I just read this about maybe a month ago. Your book is called Four Disturbing Questions with One Simple Answer, Breaking the Spell of Christian Belief. So I'm really excited to get into this book. Now, what made you write that book? What was the sort of backstory to that? Well, um, my book, Goodbye Jesus, is my spiritual autobiography and I spent a lot of time there telling my life story, you know, from starting out as a child, reading the Bible when I was nine years old and giving my life to Jesus all the way up to the present. Uh, and then I have maybe the last 25 percent of Goodbye Jesus is presenting the, the arguments against faith and why I no longer believe. But I wanted to create something that was um, I had. I, continue to have a really good response to Goodbye Jesus, but I quickly learned that there are a lot of people who wanted something, you know, quick, simple, concise. Mm-hmm. And so I, I I tried to think about, okay, let's let's get it really as simple as possible. And I came up with four four disturbing questions, four things that and they're really very simple concepts that are deadly to faith. Mm. And uh, so that's the idea of the book. It's pretty short, big print. You can read it fast. And uh, but th- but I think what it says, and you know, I, I my whole life as a as a public speaker and writer, as a as a Christian minister, and then after that too, I've always been leery of people who try to make things sound as complicated as they can, who mm. who try to use as many big words as they can. I mean, I want to. To me, the, the greatest challenge of 
uh, communication is to take something that is complex or hard to, to understand and then explain it as simply as possible. So that's that's one thing I was trying to do with four disturbing questions. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact, too, that as an ex-evangelical, I mean, you and I were both scholars. We went to Bible college, seminary, did all that, did PhDs and all the rest of it. Uh, you take the these difficult concepts, you throw out the question, and then this sort of model is you'll say, as an, ev- as an evangelical, this is what I would have said. This is how I would have answered the question, which I think is fair because it's not really like a straw man argument, is it? You're not just saying, oh, I, I don't believe in God anymore. Here's what I would have said, and now I can yeah. debunk that sort of point by point. Thank you for noticing that because that's exactly what I tried to do. And uh, I, I thought sometimes I, I, a project I have in the back of my head is doing like an audio where the current me is debating the old me <laughs> and I'm playing mm-hmm. both parts because, um, you know, I, I did reasonably well at, at convincing people when I, when they challenge these things. And, uh, I, I get really frustrated, uh, some in the, uh, atheist agnostic community. And I think it's probably more people who never were believers they think every preacher is Jerry Falwell or Joel Osteen and making mm. millions of dollars and a total con man. And so that's, and I'm, you know, I'm sure you, well, you speak for yourself, but I, I would expect you would concur mm-hmm. in, in the uh, awareness that most ministers, most people that I knew who were ministers were really sincere. They wanted to help people. They weren't. Yeah, absolutely. Most of them for the money. Them. Yeah, no, no. I it's mean, what true. else can you go to school for three, uh, five or six years for, and then you know, and then come out making uh, an income that may, depending on where you are, it, you're certainly not making more than other people who've, who've got have that much education. It's true, and just you take the average profile of the typical congregation. If you compare the minister's salary to what the sort of average mean of the profile right. of the congregation is, generally he or she is making less money than the average of the, you know, people working quote unquote secular jobs. So it's not even, you know, comparable to a typical job out in the real world of work as it were. Yeah. So for me, it's about um, let's dialogue with the best version of faith that we can find. Let's don't pick the worst uh, super rich hypocritical Jesus wants you to be rich preacher or or somebody else who's uh, let's let's deal with the people who are sincerely seeking the truth. And maybe I've spent years and years trying to understand it. Absolutely. Yeah. You like you said, you were into apologetics. I was in the same thing. We studied the Bible. We studied Greek, Hebrew, theology, apologetics, all these great, you know, masters of the faith and all the rest of it, you know, Calvin and everyone else, Augustine. But, you know, we were serious seekers, weren't we? I mean, it wasn't a joke. We That's that's a common claim that gets laid on, on my doorstep. I'm sure yours as well. Oh, Tim, you were never a Christian to begin with. It, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. true. You weren't really saved. Yeah, that's life on Twitter now called X. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. That's... Uh... That happens, and, and uh, the, but the, you know the mechanism that's in place, and I still marvel at this. So when I was confronted with a difficult question, and probably the most difficult ones were the ones that I thought about just by myself. Well, here's an example. I went to Wheaton College, 
and we read uh, books by the, the neo-Orthodox theologians, mm-hmm. people like Reinhold Niebuhr and Ryan Bart uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Carl Bart. And I can't, but I can't. Emil Emil Brunner. That was yeah, was Brunner. Of, yeah, the classic but German here's theologians. The, here's the thing: we were reading with one purpose in mind. It was to figure out why they were wrong. Yeah, to debunk that, their argument. <laughs> yeah, that that was the driving force behind it, and that's really different than approaching something uh, and saying, "Okay, is this true? What are the pros? What are the cons of this?" Yeah, critical and, thinking. And there's a it. It's not the same kind of dishonesty as somebody who decides to cheat on their taxes or shoplift or something else. It's another kind. It's an intellectual dishonesty that you don't even know is happening. Because mm-hmm. you you sort of know it maybe, but you're in this isolated enclave of believers, and you have all this reinforcement. Doubt is a is a is it can be healthy, but we're supposed to be obedient. We're we're sheep. We're supposed to follow the shepherd. We're mm-hmm. servants. He's a king. We're supposed to follow the king. He's our master. Yeah. yeah. You call me master and Lord and, you know, you're rightly so, because that's what I am, says Jesus, you know, in the Gospels. Yeah. yeah. I can remember preaching on those verses. You have to have Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. It's no good to have him as your Savior. You've got to have him as your Lord as well. Yep. Yeah. And awesome I and I often think there's uh, it's kind of like you're let's say somebody advertises that they've made the world's greatest car. We, we could use Elon Musk. I just I just. Mm. uh went through his new biography by Walter Isaacson. It's actually pretty good and helped me understand the guy a little bit better. But let's say that Elon Musk says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm building a new Tesla. It's going to be the world's greatest car. It's going to drive itself. You just sit there on and on and on. And so you buy one, you know, into the future, you buy one. It's, but really, and I'm not picking on Tesla. I think they may be pretty good cars, but just, just for an example. So you buy one and it's like, one thing after another that you were promised either isn't a, even a feature or it works terribly. Mm-hmm. Fails and, to work. Yeah, it doesn't so live up to go, the hype. And so you go back to the, I don't think Tesla has regular dealerships, but let's, you know, this yeah, is a, let's say a service you, center. You go back to this and they say, oh, well, yeah, you didn't uh, read the fine print. Did you read <laughs> the 1,000 page manual? <laughs> yeah, right. Have you? practice the commands have you practiced the intonations you need to use as you give the voice commands to the computer that runs the car do, do you understand how you're supposed to get into the car and sit just right and obviously i'm making all of this up again teslas are probably great cars i might buy one someday but it's just an analogy and that's the way christianity so and you know you and i billy graham was the guy back in the day oh yeah and uh he was my hero i think there were really a lot of good things about the man. He, I think he was sincere, mm-hmm. but, and so I, I sort of uh, picked up his version of the gospel. That was when I first started preaching, especially before I went to seminary. And it's like, we're all sinners, but God loves us. He sent Jesus to die for us and give your life to him and you'll become a new creation. And mm-hmm. then in the, you know, he's in a, an arena somewhere with, tens of thousands of people and as soon as the first notes of the invitation hymn begin people are thronging down from Mm -hmm. the highest part of the arena i learned later that the first people coming down were the counselors they were spread out all over the place and they were trained as soon as the music starts you start coming down which is a great psychological trick 
Yeah. Because it, okay, I need to go. Look at all these people. Look at all these people. Yeah. Yeah. But I know I went to the kingdom in probably 1972 or something like that to see Billy Graham. Yeah. I, I remember that in Seattle. Later at Wheaton college, I, I got in the third row when he spoke in chapel and I was like, I, wow. had, I mean, you know, this, this is unbelievable. <laughs> as close I, as you I, can get Yeah, <laughs> but at the feet of the later, master. Later I learned that maybe only 15 or 20% of those people who walked down to the front in his crusades were making a decision for Jesus the first time. Mm. They were mainly people who had done it before and they were recommitting or maybe they felt like they didn't do it right at all. And that really startled me. And then as I learned more about church growth and tried to lead churches to grow, I found that, you know, most of the people coming, even when they had, didn't meet our requirements that, you know, you weren't really a Christian yet. So they, they prayed the prayer and they got, they were baptized. Almost all these people had some prior Christian background. And mm. so one of the things that started happening to me was all of these songs, just, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O lamb of God, mm -hmm. I come just uh, as I am. Yeah. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Yes, a nine-year-old wretch who tried to obey everything his mom and dad said and who was scared to death by his dad's drinking. Yes, I was a wretch, Lord. I was a wretch. Mm -hmm. No, I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. I was you a were told that. Yeah, I was a nine-year-old kid who was scared and trying everything I knew to be a good person. But the model is so, so the reality is, Children coming in vacation Bible school or Sunday school or wherever and being taught, you know, it depends on the environment. Maybe they're mean. We tried to be nice. Um, we didn't say much about hell. We just said Jesus loves you. And if you give your life to him, your life will be great. And yeah, uh, all these promises in heaven. And guess what? Most of them do it. <laughs> they did. Yeah. And you talk about pressure, no matter how we try to like scale it back and be psychologically aware. And maybe you're not ready. That's OK. But still, it's what you do. And it's what I did. Mm -hmm. um, but the thing of it is. What what finally happened to me was I finally was able to admit to myself, this doesn't work as advertised. It's mm -hmm. like the world's greatest car, and they promise everything, but when you take it in for service, it's always your fault. Did you fast? Did you pray without ceasing? Um, how many mm -hmm. verses of the Scripture have you memorized? Mm -hmm. Do you have unconfessed you really, sin? Yeah, do you anything. have a secret sin that you're not yeah. talking about? Well, I don't know. You have enough faith. could be anything. It's always our on you, though, isn't it? Yeah. Our, our secular oasis group here in Houston, uh, we meet on Sundays, and we always go out to lunch, and this last Sunday, we went to a, uh, a taco place, which is really, really good. And I don't know why, but they had pictures and paintings all over the walls. And I looked up, it was really high up, and there was one of these Catholic-style uh, glowing heart uh, oh, images yeah. Sacred of Jesus. Heart. And I thought, oh, boy, well, we're so Here we go. <laughs> but then I looked up at the caption above it, and it, and, and it had Jesus saying, you must be guilty about something. <laughs> that was the message. So true. And yeah, always our yeah. fault. It's never God's yeah. fault. I always say God gets off the hook. He always gets off the hook. You know, wh whether you're talking about suffering, evil, you know, anything like that. Yeah, any so, answers to prayer. God, he's heal never my, to blame. Heal my cousin. Yep. And your cousin dies. Mm -hmm. Does God get uh, any the blame? Carpet? Oh no, 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 no. See, 
it was his time. Yeah. God wanted to bring him home. Tim, your role is to just have faith. But if he had been miraculously healed, it would have been praise God. Isn't God great? Isn't mm-hmm. God powerful? Look Spared what God him. can do. <laughs> it's kind of like a, you're a magician, and every time you pull the trick off, you get applause. But if you bumble and everybody sees how you did it, they they just sit silently and smile and give mm-hmm. you a pass. It's true. Yeah, we'll give them a pass. Maybe it'll do better the next time. There's a, or you know the answer is going to be revealed someday in heaven. That's the ultimate trump card, isn't it? We don't know. God's ways are mysterious. So Tim, someday when we get to heaven, God will explain why He let so and so die of cancer horribly or whatever yeah. it was. There's always an answer. When I was a pastor in my last church, sadly. A 16-year-old boy went up to his bedroom by himself and blew his brains out with a shotgun. And I went into the home. His body was still in his bedroom. The mother was sitting on a couch, and there were several of her Christian friends talking to her. And here's what one of them said. God let this happen so something worse wouldn't happen. I didn't say anything. You know, it's like as pastoral care, just be calm and there'll be the right time to talk to the mom and the dad. But I thought to myself, what on earth? Could yeah, what does that worse? mean? Yeah, what I mean, does I guess that you mean? could make up something. Maybe he was going to become a school shooter. So, but, but come on, that that's, it was awful. It was terrible. And, and what needed to happen was grief. And like, so, mo- but most Christians aren't that calloused and silly, uh, you know, to say that kind of thing. But, but, you know, think of the thing that so many Christian Christians think and say, everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. God's and ways are higher than our ways. Romans, what is it? Romans 8, 28. It's yeah. been a while. All but, things work together for the good, yeah. for those that love him and are called according to his purposes. Yeah. yeah. But so now I say, no, everything happens for a jillion reasons. Yeah. Could be anything. Shit happens. Right. Good and we bad. don't know. <laughs> yeah. And you just have to deal with it. And, you know, that's part of life, isn't it? I still try to live like an optimist, mm. uh, but it's not like a it's not like some belief that everything's going to go my way. But I do think life's better when we approach it with a positive attitude. So I, sure. I believe in that. But I I don't know why things happen. And I don't think that everything that happens to me is for a good reason. It might be for a really bad reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just pure coincidence. You know, your car breaks fail on the road and you get in an accident. I mean, yeah. Was there a reason behind that other than the fact you had a faulty piece of equipment? Could be any number of reasons. You hit an oil slick or a patch of gravel. Anything right. can happen. Some other driver was an idiot. You know, exactly. we don't know. But there's a higher purpose. Well, I was going to say that's a good segue into the book because you brought up the fact you said you were nine years old. You talk about in the book, and I love that language you say, you know, breaking the spell. You said when you were nine, you were told you were going to go to hell if you didn't believe in Jesus. And you said you kind of entered into this trance-like state. It was like being in this trance. And I can I can relate to that because when I was about five or six, I went to vacation Bible school. They had the flannel graphs and everything. And on the last day, they talked about if we if we didn't believe in Jesus, we were going to go to hell and you know, really describe the torment and the flames and the agony and everything. And I was like, wow, I want to be a Christian. <laughs> and that's, yeah. So I can resonate with what you say. Why do you say that it's like being in a trance-like state, though? Because that's an interesting way to put it. Yeah, well, so um, it's it's like a person has a spell on them that says every time you hear the word dog, you'll bark. And so they do. And they think barking is normal. And everybody else they're around does it, too. And they think it's normal, too. So 
<clears throat> it's like you know in fairy tales a prince comes along and or a princess comes along kisses a frog and the frog turns into a prince mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's that's how we think of that but this is a trance it's like a fence around your brain and uh, we, we see it in politics too um <clears throat> once you get locked in to this way of thinking any it's like an electric fence anything that comes close is going to be a, a spark and it's it gets pushed back. You have a worldview, it works, and uh, it is reinforced every single week if you go to church every single week. So yeah, it's 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 like a trance. And and for me now, um, I'm out of the trance, and it's like wow. Almost every week, I I and it's been it was it was around 2008 when I stopped believing. But I, I frequently ask myself, how could I believe those things? Yep. Who was uh, that person? Yeah. Yeah. I don't recognize that person at all. I, I and I don't think people who believe are stupid. I'm not stupid. You're yeah. not stupid. <clears throat> and our, our IQs didn't change. Our intelligence didn't change. But uh, there was something affecting the way we thought. Mm-hmm. And um, once we're able to break out of it. And look back on it, it's like, oh my goodness. I, How could I, I have thought that. I told people that. Yep. And we preached it. We led mm. people to the Lord. I've said this before on many podcasts, but I remember the, one of the best advice I ever had was from a friend of mine. He's an ex-Scientologist. And he said, if you want to gauge how crazy your beliefs were in your religion, find someone who was never religious, tell them what you used to believe and watch the look on their face. <laughs> and that says it all. Cause as they, the shock, the disbelief, how could you believe that? And you think, my God, how did I believe that? But we were all in, we believed you know, it. We preached it. We, we led churches and all the rest of right. it. Right. There, there are experiences that still stand out in my mind. Decades ago, I was, uh, it was when I was at Wheaton college and um, I had just been to a campus crusade, Bill Bright campus crusade, and it, and it was about being filled with the spirit. And I was all pumped up about it. And I was at some kind of party and I met this guy who was like a person that somebody I knew knew. And he's like a cool business guy, young guy, real sharp. And I, I just, I started talking about being filled with the spirit. And I was, and I was like, um, yeah, really fired up. Tried to sell him on being filled with the spirit. And he did something that was very unusual in my experience. After I talked for a while, he said, and he wasn't mean, but he said, um, you know, if I thought like that, I think I'd go crazy. And I never forgot that. Yep. Here's an objective, you know, sort of view on this thing. Yeah. Hey, you're talking absolute nonsense. It's 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 like a cult, isn't it? Because that's that's what I was thinking when you were talking about this trance. It's been proven that. Cults do recruit some that most of the times it's the the most highly educated, smartest, brightest, intelligent people. They're not stupid morons to fall into Scientology or the Moonies Church or any other cult than Christianity. So it's it has, like you said, nothing to do with intelligence. It's more about the psychological pressures and effects that it has on us, isn't it? And that affects the way we think. We buy into it, and that becomes, like you said, our worldview, and we just believe it 100 percent Right. It's true. Yep. When we come back in the second half of this conversation with my good friend Tim Sledge, we're going to get into two of the four questions that Tim has in his book, 
We're going to unpack those a little bit, and then I'm going to give you a teaser. Are we going to give the answer, the one simple answer that breaks the spell of Christian belief? You're going to have to listen in to find out. I just want to let you know, though, before we get back into the second half, what's coming up here in the next few episodes. I've got a conversation with Catherine North coming up. I had a fantastic chat with her the other day. She's an ex-missionary kid. She grew up in Japan with some very sort of evangelical fundamentalist parents. Fascinating conversation with her as she's come out of religion and really sort of discovered her true self. So that's coming up. Then I'm in touch with both my good friend David Hayward as well as Peter Montgomery of the Right Wing Watch. We're scheduling those two interviews coming up. So look for those two coming up with Peter Montgomery and David Hayward, the naked pastor, after the one with Catherine North. Just depends on which one I can schedule first. Just wanted to say, too, I hope you enjoyed the interview we had last time with David Morris. He's going to be coming back on the 29th of October for our monthly MindShift Zoom call. We do these once a month, and this is a fantastic benefit that you get for being a Patreon supporter of the show. You can meet returning guests that I've had on the show. We had Rachel and Molly from the Cheers to Leaving podcast back in September. And we're going to have, as I say, David coming up in the month of October. So if you want to learn how to be a part of those calls and be a Patreon supporter of the show, as always, the links to that are in the show notes. So let's get on back into the second half of this conversation with Tim Sledge. Four disturbing questions with one simple answer, breaking the spell of Christian belief. Well, now, this is an interesting segue into the book. Now, you've got two... Uh, you've got four questions, but we, I can't give all of them away because I want people to go buy the book. But one of the, I, I was thinking maybe we could look at two of them. One of them, the, the first one I want to talk about just absolutely hit me like a ton of bricks because I've just finished writing my book. In fact, you're we're, we're working on getting it out at some point, how I was baptized three times as an evangelical and all the rest of it. The first one I wanted to talk about was you call it the power failure question. And what hit me about that was, you know, your question essentially is, why are there such uneven results? Why are why isn't it a uniform result? A person becomes a Christian, they pray the sinner's prayer, they get baptized, there's no question about it, blah, blah, blah. Why do we see people wanting to recommit their lives? Why, like me, why did I need to get baptized three times just to make sure I had it right? Why do we go forward and pray the sinner's prayer thousands of times? Why isn't it one size fits all uniformly worldwide? Why doesn't it work every single time without fail? Right. And, and this is not just true of Christianity. I believe that yeah. all religions have, if you go to any group, you're going to find some highly committed people and probably, I don't know, 20% or so that are really keeping it going with their giving and their volunteer service. And you're going to find a lot of people in the middle, like in churches. And, and, and I would concede that uh, <clears throat> many churches, I think some of the best people I've met were in those churches. They're, 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 they're good and they're trying to be good. They're trying to be moral sure. and consistent. And then you've got, but, but they're, they're uh, this middle group I'm talking about. They're, you know, they're, they're normal people. They make mistakes. They, they try and they fail just like me, you know? Um, and then there's another group there. They show up on Easter and. Um, and maybe Christmas. Yeah. It's always times funny, a year. you know, the Easter service was one of the hardest ones because you had yep. more people who were, you know, shuffling around like, when is this going to be over? I need <laughs> yeah. to get out of here. Looking at their watches. Uh, so that that was kind of a thing. But I, I think that's true in all religion religions. And at, at one point, while I was still a minister, I, I started thinking about that. And I started thinking how if we went to a, a, a club or 
uh, some other volunteer organization that was secular, just any kind of group, PTA parents, you'd find that same breakdown. You know, a few really committed people, like people you admire. Yeah, they're all in. Giving a lot of time. And then people in the middle, they're they're not super good. They're not super bad. But I mean, they're good people, but they're not the leaders. They're not the stars. And then the people that just kind of. Yeah, the fringe. Yeah, they're on the fringe. And uh, then you always have some people who are maybe narcissists or uh, sociopaths or whatever who are kind of mingling around in there. And they're you got to watch them because they're dangerous and they're they don't really believe any of it. Mm. You can have those things in any group. So I think but I think the thing and I'm interested today, uh, progressive Christians, I understand liberal Christians, but I'm still trying to figure out progressive Christians. I, I I just confess I don't quite get it, but it seems like that whatever makes it hard to believe, they just sort of, well, okay. So we don't really. I mean, but I think the thing that needs to be in the forefront of this conversation is that, and I realize that in the Gospels there's there's more than one Jesus, but I'm going to go with the evangelical Jesus that mm-hmm. I think you and I believed in. Yeah, we're familiar with that Jesus. Yeah. So it says. Um, it talks about the new birth in John's gospel. Um, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's pretty clear. Mm. I mean, you could debate about what being born again means, but it sounds like a pretty radical starting over. It does, and yeah. And then there's, uh, I think Paul wrote, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, yep. all, all things, things are become, passed away. Yep. All things have become gone, new. All things have become new. Uh, there's another passage, and I can't remember if it's in one of the uh, writings that's attributed to Paul now by more uh, middle-of-the-road scholars, but um, he, he says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm-hmm. And then you have the verses about the fruits of the Spirit. For the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness. And, and then you go to a church meeting, a committee meeting, <laughs> yeah. you see or anything a congregational but meeting, and that Hard as nails, mean. What is wrong with this guy? Person gets up again and torpedoes everything. Yep, I've had him in our church, and uh, and you get, you know, it, it's not like you don't. You learn to handle it. You, you learn to be tough. You have to. And, You're not going to uh, make it. Yeah, well, and, that, and that's leadership, you know. Yeah. So, uh, but then you go home and you say, "Wow, you know, when I was when I when I surrendered to be a minister when I was 16." I didn't quite expect this. Yeah, no one told me it was going to be like that. And for me, it was so. but I know the answers. Oh, come on, Tim. The Bible never says we're going to be perfect. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Justification. You're made justice if you never sin. Glorification. When you get to heaven, you'll be perfect. But yeah. there's sanctification in the middle, which means you're in the process of becoming like yeah. Jesus. Come on, Tim. You're, you're, you're hitting a straw man here. Yeah. You're overblown in here. I understand the argument, but no, I'm not. Because it it is the core of of the New Testament teaching, I think, even still, that it is about being a changed person. And and I love it in in Matthew. If we didn't have Paul, I think the gospel, if all we had to say was Matthew's gospel, Christianity might look a lot different or might not even Mm. be around because Jesus said, here's how the judgment's going to work. You see somebody sick and you help them? Good. You see a child who needs some help, you help them, good. You see somebody who's hungry, feed them, good. Yeah, I can get behind that. Prison, you go visit them, good. But you don't do those things, it's just like you didn't do those things to me. And you are going 
to hell. Yep. That's hugely that's disturbing. It right there. It's it's behavior based according to that segment of what Jesus has to say. Yep. And the chilling part what, about that passage I was going to say is that you the people don't even know until it's too late. The sheep and the goats, isn't it? Yeah, the they goats, they don't even know they're goats. They, until it's yeah. there's too late. Jesus says, Depart right. from me, you evildoers. I never knew you into the eternal hellfire prepared for the devil yeah. and his angels. What? <laughs> Wait a minute, it's too late now. And then another common answer that um comes back in this discussion from Christians is uh, Tim, God had to give us free will. And that means that we make choices. And that means that this is a process. So we're going to make some good choices and bad choices. Uh, and and in that process, you're going to see a lot of inconsistency in believers because there's no way God could have made it where we could really love him and really serve him and us not have free will. Yeah, the old free will question. Yeah, there's a, there's a simple answer. Heaven. So what mm. is heaven? Heaven is a place where everybody there does what God wants. They don't fail. I mean, it's implicit in your understanding of heaven. Heaven is the very thing that believers say is impossible on earth. God couldn't have made a place where everybody did the right thing all the time. He had to make it like it is. And that's why in a world with about 8 billion people, about 6 billion in the current population are going to hell and they're going to suffer forever. Mm -hmm. Because that's the best God could do. Exactly. And yeah, you look at heaven, you think, wait a minute, we're just supposed to worship God forever. Every time something happens, everyone falls down and worships. You know, you look at Revelation, you think, actually, that sounds like an incredibly coercive environment, you know, where let's spend the rest of eternity just worshiping God and Jesus forever. And that's apparently our lot in life. But every, every evangelical wants to get to heaven and they don't want to go to hell. So that's, that's their goal. Well, now that's a good segue. What you mentioned, because I wanted to talk about your second question, or the a second question, I should say, which is a corollary to that. What you call the mixed message question. It's all about God's revelation of Himself, and I kind of wrote a thing down. It, it, something goes like it goes something like this: Why doesn't God self-reveal Himself in a manner that is clear and unmistakably true? Why aren't more of humanity Christians? If the religion is 100% true, the only way to salvation, why doesn't the allegedly omniscient God come up with a better, more effective way to reach all of humanity? That's yes, a huge question. There's a lot to say here. Uh, one of my favorite books these days is Sapiens by Yuval Noah uh, Harari. I believe is how you say his name. He's, mm -hmm. He lives in Israel. And this book is, uh, last time I looked, it was 20 or 30 languages it's been translated into. And one of the memorable things in that book, he talks about kind of a, a marker for humanity uh, 70,000 years ago. And what happened, he says, 70,000 years ago was that humans learned to tell stories. Um, and so that means that means you could lie, but it also means you could do fiction. You could tell a story. And, and as humans, we love stories. And maybe sure. that's when it started. I don't know. Uh, but that's a good reference point in terms of thinking how long we've been around. Now, actually, it's, it seems like more and more is coming out about this, that uh, humans have been around for even longer than that. But just, let's just use that as a reference point. So God and my wife and I have been watching a, a really great uh, thing on on. Uh, I forget, maybe great courses on the history of Europe. And uh, when, when you when you go back and review some of the things that were happening in uh, the Greek culture, 
maybe four or 500 years before Jesus. They're mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Oh, really? Yeah. Some of the things that were being written and, uh, and, but you know, in, again, like in, in seminary, you're studying history and it's like, it's a different version of you're studying it. Well, what was happening to God's people at this period? Well, this is when the Babylonians took over the Persians yeah. or the yeah, great timeline. Yeah. But there were a lot of uh, amazing things going on, but, but so, so, you know, go back as far as you can go back to those people who were telling stories 70,000 years ago. Did God reveal himself to them? Did Jesus? No, no. Because mm-hmm. God uh, felt like, I don't know, I could only guess. Well, yeah, not yet. Not yet. Yeah. Not The time isn't right just yet. Pick the great cultures before uh, the time of Jesus. Uh, you know, pick any one of them. The great leaders. God could have plugged in, like like later happened with Roman culture, uh, when it uh, Christianity piggybacked on the Roman roads and the Roman peace and the Greek language being spoken mm-hmm. uh, in such a wide arena. But this could have happened a lot of other times, but God is just not, I don't, I don't think so. Not yet. So these people, and, and I know the Christian argument, well, um, what is it in Romans, the scripture that says the, the nature reveals God. You should be able to yeah. look at nature and know who God is. Really? Watching that little rabbit getting eaten by that <laughs> ravenous coyote or, or in Africa, the, oh my God, I, I can't stand yeah, the lion eating the this. zebra. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but what but does that teach us there too? This was, you see, before the fall in the garden, ah, nothing right. like that was happening. Animals were nice to each other. Yep. It was peace and they, harmony. They had sharp teeth to eat meat because God knew what was going to happen in the future. I guess I don't <laughs> right. know. They didn't eat but, meat when Adam and Eve were running around. <laughs> yeah. But they were all, about, you know, vegetarians. Think about this logic that there were no floods. There were no. Uh, there's no lightning that would strike people and kill them. Uh, there were no hurricanes, no tornadoes. All of that started after the fall of man. Well, mm-hmm. okay, that's that's interesting. Oh, and later they built, I don't know, what's maybe they built a five or ten story building, and God said, You're getting too big for your britches, folks. Mm-hmm. I'm tearing this down and I'm going to make you speak different languages. Now, today, what's the tallest building in the world? Somewhere in the Middle East? I think so, yeah, in Dubai, maybe, or somewhere like that, yeah. They're getting up. They're, they're going up toward the mile. Mark. Oh, yeah. Watch out. God, <laughs> God is silent. Well, that's okay. Power boy, of Babel. When they built that five-story one way back there, I just wasn't yeah. going to have that. And, and and if you want to understand the languages and how they all read, that, that's how it happened. I just, boom, there were just different languages just like that. I'm getting off track a little bit. I'm getting wound up. I apologize. <laughs> You're preaching that too. <laughs> it, it just, you just look at all these times. And, and then when Jesus did come, and, and you know, we learned to preach, and it not it wonderful that the God of the universe revealed himself in a man walking out on the dusty roads of Galilee. Mm, perfectly and revealed. A, and it got a group of fishermen. Uh, and other uh, tax, you know, a tax collector. I mean, just these kind of regular guys to follow him. And he changed the world. And, and that is, a, it is a great story, obviously. Yeah, sure. Worked. But what if when Jesus rose from the dead, according to the Gospels, what if that had happened right in the middle of a major city in Rome? What if it had mm-hmm. happened right in front of the emperor? How different would it have been? Because I think Napoleon said that. I was just going through a book on Napoleon. He said something to the effect that, you know, if Christianity was true, why didn't Jesus 
raise himself in the middle in front of Caesar in Rome. That would have been a lot more effective. You know, so yeah. even Napoleon was asking the same questions you were. But again, here's the here's the you give guys, us the answer. You guys are playing God. You you can't right you you, you know you're sinning right now, Clint and Tim, <laughs> because you're trying to outguess God. We cannot know the mind of God. The wisdom of God right. is foolishness to us. And That's so what right. do you think our wisdom is to him? So we shouldn't be asking questions like this. And, you know, it's spread to the whole world anyway. So, what, well, the problem, though, is, and I don't remember off the top of my head, but it was another three or four hundred or more years till the gospel got to China. Right. It's whole other major part of the world. Why? Because Jesus was a man. He was an apocalyptic prophet who there must have been something about him. And, I, and I'm still going with the fact that a man named Jesus did exist. Now, the myth, the mythicist arguments are more compelling than I expected them to be before I mm-hmm. heard some of them. Yeah. But I'm going to hang with Bart Ehrman, at least for now, and say, I think there was a man named Jesus mm-hmm. who was a, an apocalyptic prophet. Now, what we know about the history of the development of the New Testament uh, how can we ever know what he really said? I, I don't know if we can, but I, I, I at this point, and I, I, this is just where I am, and it maybe part of it's just more emotion. I don't know, but I think there must have been something about Jesus that was compelling about him. I think he was probably really sincere, and I think he was the kind of person that uh, when people met him, you know, if you could get guys to to leave their job and just start following mm-hmm. you around. Yeah. He had charisma and everything. Yeah. yeah. Something so compelling. I'm going to assume that really happened, but um, you know, you know, in uh, the great commission, which we always held high and preached. Oh about, yeah. Go into all of the world. Preach the uh, gospel. Yeah. Preach the gospel, make disciples, teaching them to obey yep. everything I have commanded you. Mm-hmm. And I'll be with you always until the end of the age. Yeah. But wait a minute. He left something out because he should have said, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and everything the other guy who's going to come along and tell all the 12, uh, the 11 remaining disciples, they don't know anything, everything he commands you to. And by the way, a lot of what he tells you is going to be really different. You know, Mm -hmm. I said the sheep and the goats. I said, if you in as much as you didn't do it to one of the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Well, he's going to kind of go a different route. It's going to be more about what, you know, faith and belief and all the theology. This whole thing is a mess. Mm. And and one of the most frustrating things about it is you've got to You've got to study the New Testament for years before you can, I think, even understand how crazy it is Mm -hmm. because it's complex. And I don't know, maybe I'm overstating that. Maybe there's a lot of, uh, I think a lot of liberal Christians do understand the complexity of it. And they just sort of, well, I don't care. It's, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like going to church. and but um, Yeah, quell the cognitive dissonance. Yeah. But I but, can remember, uh, going back to your point earlier, you were talking about the revelation. I remember one time in seminary, we had a discussion about so-called progressive revelation. So even that model fits this, this what you see in scripture. I mean, because the, the lecturer asked us, he said, you know, for example, did Moses know more than Abraham about God? And did King David know more about Moses who knew more about Abraham? And so as the the record, the sort of historical narratives, quote unquote, of the Old Testament unfold, then you get to Jesus. So how is that even fair to a guy like Abraham compared to Moses, compared to King David, compared to the prophets and the minor prophets, and then the disciples who walked and talked with Jesus? It's a, even the Bible is a progressive revelation. So why wasn't God revealing himself fully to Abraham 
as he did to the disciples that walked with Jesus. Well, Clint, you see, oh, here Abraham we go. had faith. Oh, right. His faith was counted as righteousness. That's all we need. All that matters. Right. That's what Paul says anyway. So, But you're exactly right. And here's the bottom line. The universe is amazing. It's hmm. magnificent. We can't even begin to comprehend the size of it. So the premise of really any faith is that the deity being worshipped in that faith, and certainly in Judaism and Christianity, he, he's the creator of all this. Mm -hmm. He's really smart. He invented communication. And is this all he can do? Is that the best he can do? It's obvious it was created by humans. Mm -hmm. It's full of inaccuracies and stupidity. You mean when you do something wrong, you kill a, you kill an animal and burn it, and it's better? Yeah, and that somehow pleases God and takes away his wrath for that for a year anyway. You mean the God that made all of this thinks it's real important that women cover their heads? Mm-hmm. Really? Or that you engage in a ceremonial cutting of her genitals if you're a man? Mm -hmm. the, the God who made all of this cares about that, really? Yep. He's, he's that involved, Tim. He, he knows about the sparrow that falls from the tree. He knows how many hairs you've got on your head. Come on. He's that you know, involved. When I was about 10 <laughs> years old, I went through... 10, 10 year old boys, you got to watch out because it's it's just, it's the stage for the people I knew and me. And and now I, I'll go out of my way not to step on a bug or a spider. Sure, I just value life. But I went through this stage where killing bugs. I mean, find a frog. I won't even go into what we do to a frog, a little frog, and it makes me sad thinking about it. Hmm. But I got a BB gun, and we had sparrows, and my friend and I took our BB guns and we shot sparrows. Mm -hmm. And we'd go pick them up, the dead sparrow, and line them up on the two by four on the top of the fence. And I don't know, we had five or six. And I th and I've thought about that, you know. God knew when those those sparrows fell. Mm -hmm. But life doesn't really work like that because we Christian theology grows largely silent when a a tsunami kills tens of thousands of people or some other terrible event. There's this returning picture of a God who sits silent and watches, or maybe he's not even watching. Mm -hmm. But if I look at nature and I don't have the clear message as Christians would describe the New Testament, I see a frightening place, a horrendous place that we better learn how to live in and how to master as much as we can, which we are gradually doing. But even today, we're we're at the mercy of, of certain weather events and and climate change, uh, one of the things I do appreciate about Elon Musk, as much as I disagree with him on a lot of other things, he's trying to build a spacecraft to let humans start a colony on another planet because something could happen that ends it. Yeah. Now, of course, the Christian view is, oh, come on, guys. Come on. Th this is not ending until Jesus comes back. That's how it's going to end. Forget about the climate change. That's nonsense. But um, no, anything could happen. It's true, yeah. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, Tim. It's all going to be washed away and burned up with fire. And then that's why so many Christians, they don't care about the environment, really, do they? Because they're like, well, Jesus is going to return and you know burn this whole earth up. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to live forever with God and Jesus and in, in paradise and blah, blah, blah. So why should we even worry about it? So the thing that I think we see happening today in the United States, and I understand it's happening in other parts of the world too, 
is people who believe these unbelievable things for so long, all their lives, are then susceptible to believing other things. I mentioned a prayer for a relative about two years ago. I had a, a cousin about four years younger than me. He followed me to seminary. We were close, but we eventually went our separate ways. And he was a, a vaccine denier, and and he would on Facebook he was posting all of this stuff. Yeah, conspiracy and, theory. You're talking about COVID and all that. Yeah, yeah. And he would come after me. I, I, but but the good thing was we we were still friends. But I mean, he'd come after me. I'd come out. But after a while, I just like, hey, let's let's don't do this. But he's dead. Mm. He died of COVID. And uh, I think that his religious. I think it's a lot of things, but I think his religion made him susceptible to believing something without any evidence. That's how it is. That's how it is. Well, there's been studies shown, haven't there, that Christianity itself is built on a conspiratorial type of thinking basis. For example, you know, the the creation science, quote unquote, if you know the this this whole conspiracy conspiracy theory type thinking, those scientists don't want you to know the truth that God actually created the earth in six literal days and it was six to 10,000 years. They're suppressing all this truth in unrighteousness, you know, and so that there's all that conspiracy theory baked into the very religion itself from the beginning. They're more susceptible to believe in QAnon and the pandemic of COVID and all the rest of it. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's built into it. Well, now this is the question. There, there are actually two more questions in your book and there's an answer, but I don't think we should give people either the, <laughs> don't give them the answer because they need to find the book. They need to read it. There's two more questions. We've only hit two, and you have your simple answer, but I don't think we should give that answer. What do you think? Well, I'll, I'll you know, this is your program, so I'll follow your leadership. <laughs> uh, I, a part of me says they might have guessed it by now, but <laughs> but I'll leave that up to you. Yeah, I think it we should just simple. leave that out because it, it is yeah. extremely simple. And it's that's in bold print near the back, so it's easy it's to It's in find. the back, yeah, as you read it. Uh, that's what I would say is that you need to read the book because if you're an ex-evangelical or, as you said, someone who's maybe questioning, deconstructing, it's very well written in the sense that, yes, you provide the evangelical answer, then you turn around and very fairly sort of point by point debunk it, go through it, and then at the end, here come, here's your simple answer. This is why all these things don't make any sense, and that this is a simple answer. So you need to read the book. I think we should leave it there then, Tim. Okay. One one thing I'd like to say, Clint, is you know we've we've poked some fun and laughed and yeah, uh, you know, getting in touch with our former lives and and I I see I know you're this kind of person too. I, I try to treat individual believers with respect, sure, and kindness. Uh, sometimes that's very difficult to do if they're being confrontive. But this is not about thinking that I'm better or any of us who've left are better or smarter. But it, ironically, it's kind of like, you know, I was taught this and then I preached it. We'd say, well, you know, you always need to take a stand for Jesus wherever you are, no matter what the cost. And you may be persecuted. People may not like it, but you got to be strong. Just he's your Lord. He's your king, whatever it costs you. Ironically, so many things like that that were preached about Christianity are actually more true in my life now as one who left the faith than they were before. For example, mm. I, I have had much more I wouldn't call it persecution, but wow. And that's largely a result of being on Twitter now called X, if you're online and debating. And that's okay because, I mean, to a point it's okay because it's it's 
there needs to be a free discussion of ideas. But what is interesting to me is how often the Christians will turn and make it personal and start mm-hmm. saying things that are just they're just mean. But that that exists on both sides. I sure. I, I realize that. But I, but I think uh, it's it's not about saying we're better or smarter. But but the other thing is like you know the idea of you're going to be new, born again, you're going to be free. Well, I feel free. I feel free to follow the truth wherever it leads. I feel more genuine and more authentic. And I tried. I was sincere. I wasn't a fake. Oh, yeah. But I feel freedom. It's like all the things that were promised. But actually, my Christian life was a lot of work, man. It was an always hard work. work. I, I remember when I was I was uh, pastoring a church in Houston and I'd get on the freeway. Maybe I was going to visit one of the hospitals an hour away. And I remember I was listening to contemporary Christian music on the radio. And I remember more than once I would have the thought, should I be praying right now? Because I'm supposed to be praying without ceasing. Mm-hmm. And then as a pastor, you I also had sometimes people would remind me what they thought I needed to be doing that I wasn't. And I was pretty tough and I'd stand up to them. But even when I stood up to them, there was a part of me that said, well, maybe they're right. You know, maybe I should be doing this or that. So it's like this carrot on the stick. It's always out in front of you. And no matter how fast you gallop, it's always out there. And uh, sometimes when I say these things, some Christians say, oh, Tim, it, like you were saying earlier, Clint, you obviously didn't know Jesus, you know, because mm. you, you've made it wor- about works. No, I no, I understood grace. I understood. Yeah. It's all about it's, grace. But the book of James says um, faith without works is dead. So it's both. Yep. So anyway, it's uh, it's a surprising journey. And no wonder Martin Luther wanted to throw James into the fire. He said, you know, because <laughs> I don't like that idea. He's all about grace through faith and all the rest of it. And he doesn't he didn't like James, did he? No. It was a serious theological problem for Martin Luther, for sure. And it's a problem for us. Like you say, show me your faith by your works and all this. And it's like, wait a minute. So many Christians are not doing that. Well, listen, I know we've been going for about 45, 50 minutes I don't want to give people the answer. They need to go read the book. One last question before I let you go. How can people find you on social media? You mentioned you're on X. Any other platforms that people can find you? Uh, well, th- that's the main place on X, uh, goodbye underscore Jesus. And um, there are a number of interviews like this that I've done with with other uh, podcasters and YouTubers. Just Google my name and uh, a lot of things will pop up. If you go on Amazon, type my name in. I've not only uh, written a number of books, but I've uh, publishing books for other people and editing and helping people uh, get their books out. And uh, if I can put in this plug and you can take this out if if you want to Mm -hmm. later, but my latest uh, venture is I've started a greeting card project and because I I love photography and I love I want to I want to share positive words, too. So if you go on Amazon and you type in Moving Truths or Moving Truths Store, that's that's my card store on Amazon. And mm-hmm. and I'm trying to uh, create some cards that secular people can use. Like I've got a line of secular Christmas cards uh, because that's a big part of the year. So but thanks for having me, Clint. It's always great to talk to you. And oh, yeah, we definitely need to do this more often for sure, because, yeah, we have a lot in common. We talked a long time ago about our stories as pastors and everything. So I'm really happy that. I read this book, like I said, just finishing my book, and I thought, my God, this is such a resonance. I need to talk to Tim about this. So thank you for taking the time to talk to me about your book. Glad you did. Thanks for having me. 